The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Nobody wants to talk about money. In fact, some of you right now really feel like you need to use the restroom for the next 35 minutes. Others, it's the only Sunday ever, you're going, God, please let my kids start screaming in that nursery. Listen, we've got a generous body. We don't pass plates. The boxes are in the back, and you guys consistently give a little over budget, and we usually spend a little under budget, and God provides. But we all struggle. All struggle with money. Some of us just don't realize it. I didn't realize it. It's about 23, 24, and I was... A little church, a little Baptist church out in East Texas. A lot of folks can't tell by my accent. I grew up in the country. But this was in the country. And uh, so, you know, I'm country, but there are folks there that were more country. And uh, there was a guy there that was a little bit eccentric. Um, You never knew what he was going to come up with. But one day, he came with a request that I just couldn't have imagined. So we're having a youth event, and he said... "Uh, Chase, you're not going to believe what happened. I was walking in the woods, and he points over in the back of his truck, and there's a little fawn, I mean new, that's laying in the back of his truck. He's got it wrapped up in blankets, and he said, there was a wolf laying right by this fawn. Didn't eat it, and she took off when she saw me, and I just thought that was a sign from God. I don't really know what of, but I know it was a sign from God, so I had to keep this deer. So he says, will you baptize the deer? And I said, no, just no. We baptize people who follow Jesus. We don't baptize deer or any other animals. He said, man, I really want this deer to be baptized. I said, well, you're really going to have to go somewhere else because I'm not baptizing your deer. He said, look, I'll give you $1,000 to baptize this deer. And I said, sir, why didn't you say the deer was Baptist? (laughs) See, we all can struggle with a love of money. That's what's happening in 1 Timothy 6. Not only are people struggling with covetousness, lack of contentment, there are false teachers that have crept into the church. And they're preaching, shockingly enough, 21 centuries ago, they're preaching a prosperity gospel. Saying godliness is a means of gain. God's just a means to an end to get what you want. It was false teaching then, it's false teaching now. Run, run, run from that. In verse 6, Paul says to Timothy, Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Job 21 says something similar. It says, Naked we came from our mother's womb, and naked we shall return to the Lord. He gives and He takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So if we have clothing, verse 8, food and clothing, with this we'll be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving, remember that phrase, This craving, it is through this craving that some have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Verse 17, 
As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be arrogant. Set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Well, Father, in a room like this, there are folks who are content, there are folks who are coveting, there are folks who are generous, and there are folks who are greedy. Father, I pray that we would be naked and laid bare today before you to whom we must give an account, and that your word would cut into the deepest places of our beings, even into our treasures, our pocketbooks. Father, that that we might be content with what we have, that we might enjoy the life you've given us, and that we might be generous, Lord. Help us to be people who know that we have a Father and who seek a treasure that will last. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, what does Paul tell Timothy? What's his instruction as he's closing out the book? The Scripture has a lot to say about money, you ought to Google it, see what it says in Proverbs. You can't really, you can hit a couple of pages in the book of Luke, but not many without seeing the subject of money. And here, Paul tells Timothy, contentment is a wonderful state in which to live, that godliness is great gain. When it comes with contentment, this understanding, we didn't bring anything into this world, we won't take anything out if i got food and clothes. I'm be I'll be content. Contentment is a great state to live in. The problem is only a few live there. It's kind of like living in Texas. Two years ago today, my wife and I were in Kigali, Rwanda. We were with nine other families. We were there to bring our third child home. And our driver was a neat guy named Felix. And he wanted to know where all of us were from in America. So he just kind of going through the line. We're about five or six in the line. And so where are you guys from? We're from Ohio. Oh, okay. Where are you guys from? Alabama. Oh, Alabama. Okay. Where are you guys from? Idaho. What? Um, Where are you guys from? We're from Tennessee. Oh, Tennessee. Where are you guys from? We're from Texas. Oh, Texas. (laughs) Conversation's over. He didn't care where anybody else lived. And frankly, why would he? We're talking about Texas. Same year, I was doing a camp for some students in Canada, mission camp on the border down in El Paso, and this girl says, you guys in Texas think you're better than everybody else, don't you? And I said, no. We think our state's better than all the other states, but that's because it is. Some of you have been transplanted in, and you know the joy of being here. See, it's a great place. But not many people get the privilege of understanding what it's like to live in Texas in a greater way. What a great place to live. What a great place to live in a state of contentment. But so few live there. So few live there. Because we just need a little more. Or we need what that guy has. Or what that lady has. See, contentment doesn't come from having more. Contentment comes from being satisfied with what God has given you. 
Contentment doesn't come from having more. It comes from being satisfied with what God has given you. Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 6. He's talking to people about laying up treasure on earth or treasure in heaven. You can't serve God or money. And then he says, I tell you, do not be anxious. Now in the passage we're about to read, he says that four times. You think, you think he wants people not to worry? Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you'll put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap. They don't gather into barns, and yet our Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow. They don't toil or spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? And listen, He's not saying, guys, like you got the menu open and it's, do I eat this? Golly, that looks good. Or do I eat this? Or do I eat this? Or do I eat this? Ladies, it's, it's not, oh, I don't, do I wear this one? Or this one? Or this one? Or this one? He's talking to people who wonder, I've got a set of clothes. Are they going to wear out? Where's my family going to get food tomorrow? And to them, he says, don't worry. For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And listen, your heavenly Father, you have a Father if you're in Christ. He knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about not next year, not two years from now, not what's a market going to do in five years. Saw an article this week. It hit an all-time high. Let me be a prophet. Maybe next week we'll see one that says it hits an all-time low again. I don't know. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. Every day has enough trouble of its own. God knows what you need. You have a father. You have a father. See, we get anxious when we look at our circumstances. What's it going to be like? The reality is that we've got a God who in the leanest of times can take care of us. And in the fattest of times can take it all away. Don't worry. Don't worry. See, a focus on money will lead to anxiety or it will lead to resentment. You know, I'd just be happy if I had what she has or what he has. And golly, I'm the nicest person I know. I know I deserve it more than they do. See, we focus on others and we move away from anxiety to resentment. And see, looking at others leads to resentment. Contentment comes from looking at God. And the reality is we'll only be content when we look to God. I don't know, I might be content if I had this, but the reality is this, covetousness will not lead to satisfaction. Covetousness will not lead to satisfaction. Knowing you have a father 
will help you to walk through anything. You know, when Jesus is baptized in Matthew chapter 3, we read about that, and that's really a launching to his public ministry, a launching to his mission. And he goes into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when the devil tempts him, Jesus never mentions his mission. He always mentions his Father. Turn these stones to bread. You shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. See, he had been with his Father for all eternity. He knew him. He knew he was trustworthy. Jump down from the top of this temple. The angels will come and rescue you. So you don't strike your foot against the stone. You don't test the Lord, your God. He points back to his Father. And then... Satan offers him what's already his. He says, worship me and I'll give you the kingdoms of this world. Well, he's God in the flesh. He is going to rise from the dead. And then he'll be the king over every king and over every kingdom. Jesus, just do it without a cross. Worship me. You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only. He knew He had a Father. And when we forget that, when we forget that, we focus on circumstances, on our wants, on what others have. And we end up running after things that just won't satisfy. We're kind of like two donkeys. One's on one side of a fence, the other's on the other side of a fence, and both have plenty of grass to eat. And it's all fine grass. But what do they do? One sticks his head through the fence reaching to the others and the other sticks his head through the fence trying to get what the other has. And they're just working as hard as they can, stretching as far as they can to get what the other has. When we do that, when we do that, we end up looking like a couple of donkeys. (laughs) Just don't do that. Just be content. Trust that God has given you enough. A great example of contentment Gary introduced me to in 2009 is a guy named Ivan Prokopchuk. His son, Anatoly, is the president of Kiev Theological Seminary. Ivan Prokopchuk, Gary has said numerous times from right up here, one of his spiritual heroes, and he quickly became one of mine. He was in a Russian gulag for seven years for faithfully preaching Jesus and not recanting his faith. And he tells a story of how he went into that first 10 by 10 cell with 30 or 40 other guys. It was so cramped that at night they would bend down like this and sit on one another's laps, on one another's knees so that they could sleep. The next night they'd turn the other way. He said, you know, about eight or nine weeks in, they moved us into a cell and there were just seven other guys in there. Man, that frozen hardwood floor felt so good to sleep on. See, Ivan Prokopchuk, just like the Apostle Paul who was writing from a prison, they learned the secret of being content, whether they had much or they had little. Covetousness is a dangerous, dangerous thing. And the love of money might just be the biggest blind spot that the Western church has. Listen to what it says about those who see others who are rich, desire to be rich, you fall into temptation, a snare, many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Henry Ford met a young automotive engineer that was wrestling with covetousness. He was talking to him one day and he said, young man, what is it that you want out of life? And he said, I just want to be rich, sir. I see you, you're rich. I see others who are rich. 
And they're satisfied. I want to be rich so I can be happy. Henry Ford went away and a couple of days later he brought the young man a set of metal frame glasses with silver dollars where the lenses should be. He said, would you put these on, young man? And so he did and he said, what do you see? And he said, nothing, sir. The money is blocking out everything. (coughs) Ford said, maybe you ought to rethink that ambition of yours. See, all this money won't satisfy you. It won't satisfy you. Why is that? Why is that? Because we'll always think rich is just a little more than we have. And love money is dangerous because loving God and loving money are mutually exclusive. They're just mutually exclusive. Exclusive. Jesus said you can't serve God and money. You can't serve them and you also can't love them. Why can't you serve God and money? Because you'll love the one and hate the other. You'll be devoted to the one, and you'll despise the other. The love of money will cause you to lie, to cheat, to curse, to complain, to be bitter, to leave your family. One of the top three leading causes of divorce is money. It'll lead you to kill, commit adultery, cheat on taxes, steal, fight, and even deceive yourself. It's a root of all sorts of evil. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many, many pangs. How, how many of you woke up today, you'd say, you know, I really thought I'd like to fall into temptation, into a snare, many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. You know, today, I'd like to run after a craving that causes people to wander from the faith and pierce themselves with many griefs. You know what? This is the third hour. Nobody's raised their hand. See, it's an interesting thing because we just... The Scripture's full of, of talk about the love of money. We don't hear about it a lot. One of the things that we talk about a lot in the church that there's concern about that the culture is saying is okay and really Scripture says is not is, is homosexuality. We talk about that a lot, and it, I understand that we do. It's, it's sinful. If you're here and you struggle with homosexuality, the Scripture's plain. It's clear. It's sinful. It's not in God's will. I'd also like to tell you that if you're here and you struggle with homosexuality, I'm thrilled you're here. And there's hope, and there's healing, there's freedom and forgiveness in Jesus Christ, and I'd love to visit with you about that. But the reality is, not many people in this room struggle with homosexuality. And probably many of us in this room don't realize that we struggle with the love of money. But listen to what it says. See, the Scripture's plain about homosexuality, but it's also plain about the love of money, and it speaks a lot more about the love of money. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and it is through this craving. It's through this craving that some have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Say, come on, Chase. I, I mean, really? I... I don't know if I love money. I just want a little bit more. I just want a little bit more. So a friend of mine used to be my neighbor. His name is Keith Combs, and he is a 
He's on the Bassmaster Elite Series, professional fishermen. Those were two of 20 fish he caught earlier this year in a tournament down on Lake Falcon. These 20 fish weighed 111 pounds together. If you like fishing like I do, you know that his average was five and a half pounds, and that's, that's pretty good when we're talking about bass. If it was sharks, that wouldn't be as impressive. But, but bass, that's pretty good. And for that, he won $100,500. And do you know what all those fish had in common? They just wanted one more worm. And he threw them something that looked to them like it would satisfy. And before they knew it, they, they were hooked on it. They were hooked on it. There, there you go. Yeah. I'll speak slower. So, see, they thought it would satisfy, but they ended up in a bag out of water. See, the love of money is a dangerous thing. Is it really a big deal? Well, Jesus said, unless you renounce everything you have, you can't be my disciple. It's a, it's a big deal and it's a dangerous thing. Well, no, no problem. No problem. I don't, I don't love money, Chase. Of course not. Nobody here struggles with greed. None of the men struggle with lust. None of the ladies worry about how they look either. Tim Keller, speaking about greed, said some years ago, I was doing a seven-part series. It was talks on the seven deadly sins. And my wife, Kathy, told me, I'll bet the week you deal with greed will be your lowest attendance. And she was right. People packed it out for lust and wrath and even for pride, but nobody thinks they're greedy. As a pastor, I've had people come to me and confess that they struggle with almost every kind of sin. Almost. I've never, I've never had anyone come to me and say, I spend too much money on myself. I think my greedy lust for money and the things that it can get me, it's harming my family, my soul, people around me. See, greed hides itself from the victim. And the money God's modus operandi includes blindness to our own heart. Blindness to our own heart. See, it's a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing. One of the temptations this week will be that you go home and you spend a couple hours this afternoon just kind of justifying away this message in your head. I want to tell you, don't do that. Don't do that. Wrestle with this. Dive into the dark places and dig down deep so that the gospel can do its, its work. The love of money is a dangerous thing. Well, Paul speaks about those who want to get rich, but then what about the rich? What about the rich? The Bible does not say, don't be rich. It just doesn't say that. Mark Driscoll speaks about four categories of people when it comes to money. There's the righteous rich, the unrighteous rich, the righteous poor, and the unrighteous poor. The Scripture doesn't say, don't be rich. If you're rich, praise God. Don't be arrogant about it. Don't be arrogant about it. Arrogance leads to greed, which will just lead you back to being Covetous again and wanting just a little bit more. Well, right, he's talking to rich people. I'm upper middle class. See, if, if your family lives on 
$30,000 a year, you're in the top 7% of the wealthy of the world. If your family lives on $40,000 a year, you're in the top 3% of the wealthy of the world. If your family lives on $50,000 a year, you're in the top 0.98% of the wealthy of the world. But if God has blessed you financially, don't be arrogant. Well, how do I know if I'm arrogant, if God's blessed me financially? How can I figure that out? Well, maybe maybe you're listening to this sermon and thinking, listen, you little snot-nosed punk. I've worked really, really hard for everything I had, and you're not going to tell me how to spend my money. Here's, here's what, I'd, what I'd tell you. If, if you're thinking that, I'm going to say, well, not only am I saying you have money issues, I'm saying you're arrogant too, in case we've not been clear. See... The reason is because it's not your money. R.G. Letourneau is one of the wealthiest men to live in America. He built heavy equipment that built our nation. One of our elders, Lee Hoffer, lived with his family while he was in college. He's got some amazing stories. You ought to ask him sometime about the Letourneau family. R.G. Letourneau started tithing, and God blessed him in amazing ways, and he not out of guilt or compulsion. We don't want to be about that. He just loved Jesus, was grateful. He wanted to give more. He wanted to give more. And he wanted to give more so that he gave away 90% of his income and he kept 10. But isn't it all relative, really? I mean, come on, Chase. I think R.G. Letourneau puts it in great perspective when he says, it's not how much of my money I give to God, but how much of God's money I keep for myself? So if you think I'm giving some of my money to God, you might be in that arrogant rich. It's not how much of my money I give to God. It's how much of God's money I keep for myself. I was talking to a friend who's a pastor about this message, and he said, man, you ought to tell them, give to Caesar what's Caesar's and God's what is God, and make sure they know to give their 10%. And I said, I think you may have misunderstood Jesus there. That's not what he's saying. See, Caesar's is Caesar's, but what's God's? Everything. See, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the whole world, the whole world belongs to Him. Some of you did work hard for what you have. The talent you have, gift to God. Skills you have, gift of God. Ability to get up and go to work, gift of God. Heartbeat, breath, gifts of God. It's all gifts of God. John the Baptist said a man can receive nothing except that which is given to him from heaven. You guys know what the Greek word for nothing means, right? Nothing. See, it's a gift from God. It all belongs to Him. And we're told to to enjoy it, but we're also told... Not to be arrogant. Because humility leads to generosity. It did in Letourneau's life. It does in the lives of a lot of people. I look out and see faces of people throughout this body that I know are generous. I've got friends in this body made a good living and they determined and recognized several years ago they had enough money. So now they work just to give stuff away. They don't have to work. But they do so they can give more away. I just think, man, 
That is amazing. That's amazing. Humility leads to generosity. Humility leads to generosity. So if you're rich, don't be arrogant. And then don't put your hope in wealth. Don't put your hope in wealth. If God has blessed you financially, hope in Him and not in His gifts. So what does it look like to hope in wealth? Well, you can be like the guy in Luke chapter 12 who says, I'm going to build bigger barns. I've got all this stuff and I'm going to build bigger barns. And the story goes, you fool. Who's going to, who's going to take what you've prepared for yourself? This night your life is required of you. It might be like that or it might be like this, that I'm so nervous that I'm watching the market every day that my heart beats as erratic as the stock market is. See, suicide rates are going up in the United States and the most significant group they're going up in is people who are 50 and over. And the number one reason, this is from the Center for Disease Control, the number one reason People are killing themselves because they're worried about money. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. You have a father. See, Jesus in Luke 12 says very similar. It's a very similar passage to Matthew chapter 6. Luke's account is a little different in that at the end he says, Seek the kingdom. Your father knows you need all these things. And then he says, Do not be afraid, little flock. Your Father is pleased to give you the kingdom. So sell what you have and give it to the poor and buy purses that don't wear out. See, self-preservation is a mindset unbecoming of those who follow a slain lamb and a crucified king. We can trust Him. So if God has made you rich, if God has made you rich, be rich in good works, generous and willing to share. How much money would you have to have in your mind to be rich? That might be a different number. How much money would it have to be? You get that in your mind. For instance, say if the folks from Publishers Clearinghouse come to, come to your door or my door and we get a million a year and 5000 a week. Would we, is that rich? Maybe so. What's rich? And I want you to get that in your head because the command is to be rich in good works, generous and willing to share. How Many good works. What does that look like? What does it look like to be rich in generosity, willing to share? See, it's really, it's really about seeking the right kind of treasure. Make sure you're pursuing the right kind of treasure. See, that's how he ends this passage on money. He says, be rich in good works, generous and willing to share. Why? thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life which is truly life. See, everybody on the planet is trying to amass treasure. For some, it's treasure on earth that thieves can break in and steal, moths can eat, and rust can destroy. And for others, it's treasure in heaven that will not fade. It will not go away. Seek the right kind of treasure. How do you do it? How do you do it? Is it by guilting yourself in and feeling bad and doing a little more? No. It's by remembering you have a father. See, in adopting, Laura and I have read a good bit about adoption. And it can be a hard journey. 
especially if you adopt a, a kid who's a little bit older, oftentimes, whether from the U.S. or other places, people will adopt an older kid from a hard place. Now, when that adoption happens, that child has a mother and father. They've got a family. Their needs are going to be met. They're taken care of. But something's happened in their brain, neurotransmitters, because they haven't had enough food. Say, when, when you see it, get it. When you see it, get it. When you see it, get it. So they'll stuff themselves till they're sick, and then they'll hide bread under their bed. Or they'll put fruit in the closet. And it'll just stay there and rot because every day they're going to get enough and they'll eat plenty but then they'll hide a little more. Because both in their brain and then in their mind they don't trust. Though the reality is there, they don't trust that they have a father. See, why, why do we worry? Why do we covet? Partly because advertisers spend billions and billions of dollars so we'll spend billions and billions more. You've got to have it, 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 you've got to have it. Now, I'd be satisfied if I just got that. I'd be satisfied if I just had this, if I just had this. And then the other reason is that we forget that we've got a Father who's pleased to give us the kingdom. We can trust Him. He'll take care of us. You don't have to worry. You don't have to worry. Listen, if you're worrying, if you're struggling with this, if you're wondering, I don't know if I love money, Let's talk about it. You can take me out to lunch and be free from your love of money for 30 minutes. Really. If you're wrestling with it, let's talk about it. I'd love to visit with you. I know Gary would love to visit with you. Other pastors on our staff love to visit with you. If you're worrying, don't worry. We have a Father. Let's pray. God, I thank you for men and women who do work hard by your grace and give to make ministry from this church happen in this community and all over the world. I thank you, God, for the models of generosity I see when I look out on this crowd. And God, then there's this reality just that some of us struggle with the love of money. We struggle with greed. We struggle with covetousness. We're not content. We worry. We're looking for satisfaction somewhere where we can't find it. God, would you forgive us? Would you draw us to you and help us to hope in you and help us to trust you and let that trust for you turn into contentment and generosity, God, that all the more Central Texas in the world might know that Jesus is King. Lord, as it relates to our pocketbook and everything else, have your way with us for your glory and for our joy now and in the life to come. In Jesus' name, amen.